everyone, I'm Katie Knight and welcome back to Can You Put Me On Guest List. I'm really, really excited about today's episode, which I recorded with one of the most interesting and influential people in the industry, Ben Turner. Ben has done so much in music. He started off as a journalist. He then launched the well-known magazine Music. He's been a TV producer and director. He's the owner of the management company Graphite. He's artist manager for a number of leading electronic music artists. He's co-founder of IMS, co-founder of AFEM, which is the Association for Electronic Music, and so much more that you'll hear about during this podcast. We talk about how Ben started out in music, how he's managed to take on so many projects over the years, the biggest achievement in his career, tips for staying focused and clear-minded in this crazy industry, and finally, a topic that we're hearing so much more about now and that's so important to talk about, that is mental health. We're all pulling in the right direction, but actually if we all align and get some common messaging out to young people and to people in the industry, maybe we can start to help them because I think people are lost. They're lost in information. They don't know where to turn. And we're an industry that's got all these challenges of, all these fun challenges of, you know, global travel, festivals, late nights, parties. Um, And, you know, we, we have to pull together better. I really hope you enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I did recording it. This is Ben Turner on Can You Put Me on Guest List. Ben, hello, how are you? I'm very good, how are you? I'm very well, thank you for um, spending some time with me today and having a Problem. little chat. Good to see you in LA, not Ibiza. Yeah, I know, it is, <laughs> it's so nice. It's. Um, I have to start off by saying that to prepare this interview, I've actually found it quite hard because... You've done so many things, and I had so many questions. I had to keep reminding myself. Katie, Ben Turner is a very busy man, so try and keep it short. <laughs> I hope you found some interesting information. I, a lot, a lot. So, obviously, because you have done so much, can we start off by you telling us exactly what you do and what projects you're currently working on or involved in? What do I do? Well, I get up every day, and in my mind, the first thing I'm thinking about is really my main company, which is a management company, Graphite, which I've been running for nearly 18 years. And that's where I go to work every day, if you like. And then in my spare time, I run a music conference called IMS with Pete Tong and three other partners from Ibiza, who many of your listeners will know. Um, Out of IMS, I then created AFEM, the Association for Electronic Music. I also have a music supervision company called Earworm, which is only three years old, but that's putting music into some of the biggest TV shows and films and games and advertising. Um, So that's kind of like my latest venture. Um, And then I'm also involved in a record label, Sunday Best, which has been going for 20 years and and a couple of other things. (laughs) So many things, so many. So how did you get into music from the beginning how did it all start for you um listening to john peel on radio one then buying enemy melody maker and sounds the three music newspapers of the time pre-internet um every wednesday morning religiously 8 a.m waiting for the news agent to open to get these three newspapers and i slaved over every single word every column didn't miss a corner of information then I'd listen to John Peel in the evening. Then I would go to the record shop and buy the music. And um, just pure love, passion, fascination for music. You know, when you're at school, there's always that one kid in the class who 
has got all the names written on their pencil case of the hottest new bands, and that was me. And um, and I guess I just wanted to very quickly turn that into not even a business, just that's just what I wanted to do. And my first first step was to be a music journalist because I actually was looking up to the journalists and the names under the article as much as who they were writing about. I was really interested in the different styles and tastes and I got, I got sucked into a few journalists who were kind of the ones talking about electronic music in the rock papers and really started to follow their work and, and then I guess when my school said to me you need to go and do a week, a week of um, work experience you know everyone in the class was thinking of well their local video shop or you know the supermarket or you know and I was like okay well I could do the video shop because my sister works in one and then for some reason I just went home and I wrote four letters I wrote to enemy melody maker sounds and EMI records and three of them replied and rejected me so I kind of gave up the idea and then I came home from school one day pre-mobile phone obviously <laughs> and 4 p.m the phone rang and it was Steve Sutherland who was the assistant editor of Melody Maker, and he said, well, I, loved, I loved your attitude, loved what you said, loved what you wrote, because I wrote a few things about the music industry, <laughs> and they invited me to London, and that was a week of work experience, and from that moment on, I just never never turned back. I quit education and moved to London and, and worked at Melody Maker. So. Can you remember what them three things were that you wrote about the industry? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd actually had a letter published in Melody Maker. So they used to have a letters page, again, pre-blogs, I guess. And I'd written a response, something to do with the Manchester music scene, which I was really into, the Happy Mondays, the Stone Roses in Spiral Carpets. And I'd reacted to a negative review and I was being very defensive of these bands that I loved. And it was the lead letter in the... So it was the first time I was ever published. It was the lead letter of me kind of ranting against these journalists and defending the bands that I love. And I think I was probably like that for the next 15 years as a journalist. I was all, always kind of quite opinionated and, and really kind of championed music. And that was really the start of me, I guess, championing electronic music inside a rock newspaper, which wow. not many people were doing. This was 1992. And um, it was pre-Underworld, Chemical Brothers, Left Field. It was <clears throat> coming out of Acid House. And then being in a rock newspaper and seeing this crossover of rock and electronic music happening in front of my eyes in London, going to clubs and, and not just focusing on... At the time, Mixmag were talking about Brandon Block and Alex P and no disrespect to them, but there was suddenly this really innovative electronic music coming through with guitars and, and sort of non 4-4 beats, you know, the Dust Brothers, which became the Chemical Brothers, Chemical Brothers, and then Underworld, and then, and then I think Detroit Techno, those kind of three things gave me a real purpose. Every day I would go to this newspaper as the youngest person in the office, sit in the editorial meeting where they'd talk about Kurt Cobain and, and um, Courtney Love and all these things, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, but you do realise that the young kids out there want dance music, they want DJs, they're not interested in this music, you know? yeah. And they were like, yeah, you shut up in the corner and go and, go and look after the pictures because I, I was the picture editor. And, um, but eventually they listened and they gave me a small column and it was literally, you can't see, but it was like the size of a cigarette packet. Oh, wow. And then it became a page, then it became two pages, then it became four pages, then it became eight pages. And then eventually they gave me and Push, my partner, who was a bit older than, a lot older than me, um, they gave us our own uh, publication to just Amazing. focus on electronic music. And that was when I was 20 and that was like 1994. So that, that was the beginning. 
So then from there, what was next for you? Is this when you started Graphite? Well, for, for five years, we launched a magazine called Music, M-U-Z-I-K, which sadly is no longer with us. But um, it was, again, the internet was just starting, but it was really, um, we were trying to kind of take Mixmag on, but be completely different. We were trying to be like the rock music approach to dance music, which actually, when you look back on it now, maybe it was the wrong thing. But, but it actually, we wanted to stand for something different other than DJs going fishing, which is what Mixmag were at that time, you know, writing yeah. features about. Yeah. We were about the music. We were very seriously kind of, maybe too seriously um, focused on the music. And um, that job, you know, I was the push and myself were the founders of the magazine. It was funded by a big corporation. Um, but I basically got to travel the world, meet all of my favorite artists, interview them, help push their careers. You know, the magazine cover was very iconic. We had a photographer whose imagery was was incredible at that time. And, and you know, we were really championing actually underground electronic music. And um, suddenly their mix mag changed their approach to be more like us. And we kind of got into this big kind of magazine war for six, <laughs> seven years. And then I, then I wanted to kind of learn more about the internet and TV production. I went off to form a .com called worldpop.com and started um, putting music onto mobile. You know, in Ibiza, we did something with Pasha in 2000, which was quite revolutionary with text messaging. And then I started producing and directing TV shows. And then when that dot-com went bust in the internet kind of collapsed, that's when I started Graphite. And I then realized that I needed to work for myself and not be yeah. kind of beholden to companies who I couldn't control their spending or, or whatever decisions they were making. So that was the start of me going out on my own. And, and if you want to know why I do so many different things, I think it came from that two-year when I left being a purely print music journalist into TV director, TV producer, content creator, mobile phone content. I suddenly had this very broad approach, which you now today probably have all of those yeah. things. But for the, the time was quite unusual and I wanted to, to focus on that. And, um, and then management just came because Rob DeBank, who was sitting next to me, he was a tea boy for me. Um, he used to get my, my bacon sandwiches in the morning. Really? <laughs> and, um, I, gave him his, I gave him his first job and then he started Sunday Best Parties and um, he had a little label. He put out this 7-inch by Groove Armada but didn't really know what to do with it. And um, I said to him, you know, you need a manager. So I started being his manager and that was kind of how I got into management and, um, and it kind of went from there. So. Uh, wow. So now you have Graphite, which manages some of some amazing artists, some huge, huge names. Um, you also have all of these other projects that you were just telling us about before. Do you have any routines or work habits that have allowed you to take on so much over the years? Well, I think it's more about people around you. I think, I think um, you know, I have a small team. In the last 20 years, I've gone from having 10 people to three or four people. And I'm actually happier with a smaller team, but like really close, loyal people. Um, a lot of the management I do is sometimes with co-managers. So you're sharing a project and that, that can be really, really, um, can work really, really well if you've got the right people there. Um, no, I, I don't know. I mean, I've, I guess I've always multitasked and I've always, I've got this inner kind of, inner ability to kind of know what needs to get dealt with first, you know, yeah. and, and um, obviously sometimes that cannot work. But 
yeah, I think organization, structure, and um, communication. You know, I'm not somebody who sits and hides behind emails. I, I mean, if you look at my, my calendar, I literally, my day is completely programmed with phone calls. You know, it's not like um, just sitting there doing seven hours of emails. It's, it's, I talk to people and I encourage everyone I work with to pick up the phone and have conversations because we got to live in the real physical world. And I think for many years we were all hiding behind email. So I really believe in just getting on the phone and talking to people. I obviously don't have even the near as much work as you obviously do, but I still have to break down my hours every single day. So I'll be like, from 7am to 8am, I'll work on this. From 8am to 9am, I'll go for a run. So I can't even imagine what your... Your well, days are seen. Well, I think, I think keeping, um, getting the, ba- I mean, it's interesting because it touches on uh, one of the IMS developments, which was the, the wellness retreat we launched last year. And it took me until actually I moved to LA to really understand and enjoy the benefits of a balanced life. You know, for me, yeah. I prided myself on always being on 24 7, always available, always at an event, always checking my emails, always checking my phone. I just thought that's what I had to do to kind of keep doing what I do and coming out here and absorbing myself into nature and hiking and actually the fact that things stop here at 5pm because the UK's asleep and New York's kind of out for dinner and um, people stop work early here. They start really early. I still have really long days, but I've got my evenings back and getting that balance I think has been crucial to me still at the age of 45 still being able to do as much work as I do not that that's old but I've done a lot since I was 15 16 and um, I think the new generation that are coming through have got this balance much better than I ever had it and finally I've found it and um, so kind of I do work in the daily hike and I do swim and I do those sort of important things to get that balance you know what for you would you say has been one of the biggest achievements in your career? Um, my gosh, that's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of crazy that Music Magazine launched in 1995 and still I get emails, I get wherever I go in the world, people ask me about the magazine and talk to me about how powerful that magazine was to their musical development. You know, that was really, um, that's really powerful. But I, But I actually think... Over time, I would like to think and hope that AFEM, the trade body that I created, um, the Association for Electronic Music, which was kind of born out of IMS, that's something that I really hope um, as it grows, as it evolves, as you know, one day I retire and my generation retire, that the new generation coming through will, will grab hold of that um, platform and organisation and use it for change and to create change. Um, and I think over time that could prove to be one of the most valuable things that I've contributed to the industry. Magazines are great, but this is actually real change, yeah. creating real change. That was one of the things actually that um, obviously, as I said before, as I've been doing all my research this week, one of the things that I loved about the work that you've done is how much you've contributed to the industry on well-being and um, mental health as well. And a lot of your projects in some way or another do have something to do with them issues. Um, obviously, at IMS, one of the main topics this year is mental health, as it was last year as well, I think. Um, and also, you launched the retreat last year. Yeah. When did you first realise that mental health was becoming an issue in the industry? I think about, um, honestly, 
10 years now. Um, about 10 years ago, I was, I don't know if I should say this, but I was managing um, an act called A Man Called Adam. We were very close to my heart and the singer Sally's husband committed suicide and it was the first time I'd ever really kind of been so close to something like that happen, happening. And I couldn't understand it, I couldn't comprehend it. She couldn't, obviously couldn't comprehend it. And being around that really impacted on me in quite a deep way. And in the 10 years since that happened, I can honestly name you nearly 20 people in the music industry who've taken their life. Wow. And um, not all necessarily close to me, but people one step removed. Yeah. And so about seven years ago, I got involved in Calm, the campaign against living miserably, um, and started to learn about mental health, started to learn about male suicide at that time in the UK, which was particularly shocking figures. And it's actually now, this isn't a good thing, but it's now more balanced between men and women, but it used to be very male-led. And there's just something about this topic that, you know, I just I still can't quite understand, but understanding mental health and trying to understand mental health better in a more deeper way has been something I've just been really um, curious about. I'm a very balanced person. I don't get depressed. I've been very, very lucky in the way my my mind is or my body is and and, you know, but I wanted to do more about it. And we tried about we tried seven years ago to do a big concert and I, and I was actually really disappointed at the response from agents and managers about what we were trying to do then. Um, in terms of acts, you would only do it for money and not really understanding it. And um, thank, well, this sounds really weird to say this, but thank God we are in a place now where people are responding, yeah. um, obviously for the wrong reasons. But um, so I think I'm really pleased that the industry is now responding. Everybody is open to talking about this issue now and myself and and the IMS partners and a guy called Blaise D'Angelo who was working for Skrillex for five or six years he had a he kind of hit a wall and you know wanted to kind of slow down a bit and take a break and he came to me and said look I we need to do something here and I was feeling the same way and we're very lucky with IMS we have a very engaged and very consistently busy summit and conference and so we we bolted on a two-day experience um, around IMS for people to come, take a pause, learn, be educated, understand about nutrition, understand about breathing, have quite intense discussions, open discussions about what this industry is doing to them, to their mind, to their body. Um, and it was so powerful. I mean, I, I came out of there and still get quite emotional thinking about it, but it had a real impact on, on the conference. You know, men were coming up to me the whole week saying, we've been suffering for 15 years. We've never spoken to anybody about it. And here we are at a conference and we're, we're all talking about this. So I'm really, I feel like we really are part of, of opening the door, certainly to the electronic music industry, to this being a bigger topic. Um, obviously, the, in the weeks to a, launching the event, Avicii took his own life. And to be honest... We were struggling to get people to understand what we were trying to do. That moment happened and suddenly the badges started selling and people could start to really understand why we were doing what we were doing. So we want to continue the, the platform. It needs to be much more than one retreat once a year. And myself, AFEM, some of the other organisations around mental health are now all working together collectively to try to create one common goal because individually we're not doing enough. Clearly, Keith Flint 
then took his yeah. life. So two hugely high-profile artists so dear to the hearts of people in electronic music, despite all their success and all of the good things that they've experienced, life wasn't enough for them or something in life was triggered this response. And so that's why this year's IMS, the theme is the same. I wanted it to be the same. Like, you know, we, everyone is asking, did you guys do enough in the last year or your industry do enough to make change? And we didn't, clearly. And um, so that's kind of when I, you know, in the last four weeks, something really struck me that like, okay, so Remedy State, Arate, IMS are doing its thing. Help musicians are doing their thing. AFEM are pulling in this direction. We're all pulling in the right direction, but actually if we all align and get some common messaging out to young people yeah. and to people in the industry, maybe we can start to help them. Because I think people are lost. They're lost in information. They don't know where to turn. And we're an industry that's got all these challenges of, all these fun challenges of, you know, global travel, festivals, late nights, parties. Um, and, you know, we, we have to pull together better. So... I think as well people see this industry as it's fun, it's parties, we're traveling the world, but it's actually, it is hard. It is very hard and it's just you're working daytime, you're working nighttime, you're working seven days a week and it can be very, very stressful. And I don't think people realize how important these issues actually are yeah. because if you're not right up here, nothing else is going to be right. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I, I mean, I've said it a couple of times, but, you know, when we launched IMS in Ibiza, you know, our first year's curation was taking DJ Magazine to task for the validity of the top 100. You know, we were talking about things that seem so trivial now. And now yeah. we're talking about mental health and we're talking about practical parenting and sexual harassment and real issues. You know, I don't know. I don't what changed in... Well, partly our industry grew up. I think it's a lot to do with an industry maturing. Mm -hmm. but society at large driven a lot by social media the landscape is completely changed around us and we're all addicted to some form of social media in some shape or form yeah and um none of it is particularly healthy the connectivity is exciting and, and we love the fact we're all so connected but somewhere in that there's danger and yeah. negativity well it's like what i was telling you before we started the podcast about um six weeks ago I took a break from social media just five days of no Instagram no Facebook no Twitter and it felt so good yeah. I didn't think it was going to feel as good as good as it did and it helped me so much and I would honestly if I could at least every couple of months just have a tiny little break it just really clears yeah. your mind yeah. because it is unhealthy even though we're very very connected nowadays we're more connected than ever before we're actually not at the same time because yeah. at the same time we're just all in our phones and we're not speaking to people personally yeah. or touching people how we how we would before. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's nice to have that break and realize that there's more outside of social Absolutely. media. Absolutely. Do you think that people do suffer from more health issues nowadays, or do you think that it's just that people are starting to open up a lot more about it? Um, I definitely feel. Um, the technology around us is is kind of, it's just the accessibility. You know, when I think back to in my earlier years, you know, I still have a file full of faxes from people like Richie Horton and Mad Mike. And that was how I communicated with these people. We'd send faxes to each other with information and handwritten letters. And 
we just weren't available. You know, it was like you had to really think about how you communicate and make a real effort to do so. And and now we're just, you know, from, you know, WhatsApp to Skype, you know, we're just bombarded with with communication. So trying to stay focused on any given task is really, really difficult. I, you know, a lot of artists that I know when they're in the recording studio now, they're doing what you did last week and there's, there's actually a... A phone company that has got no, you can't put social media on it. So they they switch to that phone for the two weeks that they're in the studio. You know, it's, we all we need to find these ways to do that. And for me, part of that was has been going on retreats and going to Ayurvedic retreats and and going to places where, okay, I might check my emails every now and then, but generally I'm I'm switched off. And I think if we don't, I think the world around us and technology will drive us all to burnout. And yeah. that's ultimately. You know, at, at my end of the industry, after 25 years in it, I've got to start thinking about that stuff. You know, yeah. uh, that's why I actually really loved Remedy Stay because a lot of the things that you learn at the retreat or practice have actually been things that I've been trying to change over the last couple of years myself. Right. I've really changed my diet a couple of years ago. Um, I sleep more than I used to. Yeah. I exercise every day. I actually went on a mindfulness course at UCLA with an amazing oh. woman called Mitra Manesh last year, which was, which was fantastic. Um, I've been meditating 10 minutes every single day as well. And just these small changes that I've been starting to make in my life have just made such a huge difference yeah, amazing. and it's i don't amazing. think people realize that even just these small things yeah. can be such a, yeah, a huge well, change glowing and you look so happy so ah, and i am very happy you. <laughs> thank <on> you, you. <laughs> um what would be apart from obviously what we've just been talking about um, mental health and, and well-being what would be one of your main concerns for the dance industry in 2019 well i think there's a there's a a second big topic which is called of, I mean, we've got mental health crisis and club landing crisis um, we're working with RA the resident advisor guys to host a kind of uh, extended um, discussion should we call it, not a panel because there's 20 speakers on it Ooh, um, and we're going to split the room into two which we've never done before just to change up, you know after 12 years we kind of need to make it fun for ourselves a little bit and so rather than have everyone looking at the stage in that that kind of quite tired panel format. We're going to split the room in two and there'll be two halves to the room and the front 10 seats of each side will be speakers. So it'll be more like a kind of, you know, like a, a, de- a hall debate, you know, like a local town hall debate. Um, RA are going to host it. There's some great artists, managers, promoters. There's people coming, you know, someone like Nicholas Matar who created Output in New York, who's, you know, that club has closed down, victim to large-scale events in Brooklyn, um, promoters from places like MMA in Munich, you know, lots of really interesting people coming. And that was kind of our lead topic, but we've kind of made it secondary to the mental health situation because we just feel, you know, that's that's the right thing to do, you know. So, but that, that discussion, I'm really pleased RA have got involved. Obviously, they're alarmed at what's happening with the kind of smaller club circuit kind of being kind of wiped out in some territories and some markets. Um, so we want to give that a real positive platform to kind of not just sit and be negative, but actually what can we do? How can we, what's gone wrong in the ecosystem? And that comes a lot to big artists supporting smaller clubs and going out of their way to play those smaller places and all of those kind of things. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. But there's loads of stuff. There's, 
Um, we have a big focus on the Eastern Bloc scene, you know, kind of all the interesting stuff happening in Poland and yeah. and uh, Tbilisi and Kiev and all these kind of really, because there's all this negativity going on in some markets, but Eastern Europe is is really invigorating and exciting and great venues and, you know, innovative techno coming from there. So, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of positivity. I don't want IMS to just appear to be no. focusing on the negative, but we've always tried to really recently consciously focus on the next generation, giving the platform to the younger younger people coming through are full of kind of ideas and, and leading the way and showing us the way in many other areas. So I think there was this period with IMS years, probably seven or eight, where we was probably should have let go a little bit and let the new generation jump in. And um, I think since we've opened that door in the last two or three years, the summit feels much more energized and and all these kind of new new generation of, of industry people are coming and loving it and feeling it's for them, which is great because otherwise we it would have just grown old with us, you know. It's fantastic. <laughs> we absolutely love it. Everybody does. I'm so excited about this year. It'll be yeah. great. Um, and finally, as a very, very successful businessman in this very crazy industry, what are your top tips to staying focused, creative and clear-minded? Um drink less, stop taking drugs, eat healthily, learn about diet and nutrition 25 years before I did, um, say no, um, stick close to your friends, have a life away from the madness. Um, I think somewhere in there, if you can get five or six of those right, you'll, you'll get the balance that you need. It, it took me so long to realize it, but that balance leads to uh, creativity to kind of making the right decisions prioritizing um, and a better perspective which I think we all need amazing Ben thank you so so much I absolutely loved chatting with you today thank you great great to talk to you thank, thank you very you. much and I'll, I'll see you at IMS absolutely thank, thank you, you. <laughs>